if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, or at least a phone with which you can access your Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 7. And we are going to read a familiar story, but maybe from a less than familiar place, Acts chapter 7. And it's the story of Moses. I'm going to start with verse 20. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. And when he was placed outside, and we all know what that means because we're familiar with the story, placed in the basket inside the Nile River, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, and so he went up to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look to your word that you would um, reveal yourself, your purposes your plans for us, your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a new uh, series of sermons. Um, and we're going to call it Let Your Life Speak. That's not an original name. There's a book titled Let Your Life Speak. Um, but that's going to be our title. And I'm starting with a story of Moses and looking at God's call in his life. We all remember what happened when God sent Israel, uh, Moses back to the Israelites in Egypt where they were slaves and how God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery to the promised land. And it's such a momentous story. I mean, it is a complete understatement to say that's a big story in the Bible. That, it's, it's, it's massive. Um, and it's massive in how Christ then fulfills that story. 
And so it's pretty easy to, to think of Moses and to think of what God called him to do and to think of the way in which God called Moses, this, this burning bush that doesn't get consumed. And well, that's never happened to me, right? Has that happened to you? Have you seen a burning bush uh, that hasn't been consumed? It's easy to think of Moses and what God called him to do and the manner in which God called him and think, wow, I'm, I'm not in that league. Uh, how can I relate with, with Moses. He seems way up here, and we seem way down here. And I want us to connect a little bit with Moses this morning, and um, I'm going to offer three simple ideas, and I'm hoping at least one of these simple ideas will resonate with you this morning, how we can connect with Moses' story, how his story is our story as well. And first I want to talk about the call of God. So Stephen... Uh, is the individual who was speaking those words in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was one of the church leaders, and he was appearing before the Jewish ruling council, and he was preaching these words to them about Moses. And um, he, uh, Stephen's purpose in that message is to help the Jews to which he was talking to, to recognize where God's spirit is at work and God was, God's spirit was active in calling Moses. And we can think of God's call, if we focus on how massive Moses is, we can, we can unfortunately think of God's call as something that goes out only to select people for a narrow ministry. Maybe like being a full-time occupational pastor or missionary or church worker. And again, you look, you, if you think of God's call like that, you think, what does this have to do with me? It's up here, I'm, I'm down here. So let me say no this morning. God's call doesn't only happen on rare occasions to rare individuals, but it does happen to very special individuals. And this morning, what I want you to know is that means it includes you. I'm not trying to be sentimental by calling you special this morning, but that's, that's who you are. Uh, the reason that um, God's call to special people includes you this morning is because way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God was about to create human beings, God spoke something. In Genesis 1, verse 26, recorded, records it. Then God said, let us make mankind, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. And when we think of being made in the image of God, there's, there's several ways that Christians have tried to understand what does that mean. And one of the ways that we have thought that that means is there are common abilities that we have as human beings because God has made us in his image. For example, we have the common ability to create. And we may express that in different ways. You may create that artistically, graphic arts. You may, uh, you may express that um, musically. You may express that as the, with a skill that you use to create a data sheet or come up with a strategic plan or build a house or build a shed or build a car. We all have the ability to create this common ability. Or, another example, we have the ability to reason. 
say that oh, we're made in God's image, and that gives us the ability to reason, or the ability, the ability to be in relationships with others, or the ability to rule and have dominion over territory. Being made in the image of God does imply great common ability, but I think it means more than that as well. Being made in the image of God means that we are image bearers. We bear God's image, and uh, we are to show that image of God to the world around us. And we each have a part, and that means there is a part of God's image that you uniquely can share that I cannot or that I do not. And there is a part of the image of God that I can share that you either cannot or do not. We all work together to share our unique contribution to the image of the God, to the image of God to the world around us. We are to show God. And the more that you get this truth that there is some part of God's image, some unique part of God's image in you that you are meant to share, the more you realize that there really is no ordinary day in your life. Does it make sense? If there is some unique part of God's image that you are to share to the world around you, there is no ordinary day because every day becomes an opportunity to share that unique part of God to the world around you. That is not an ordinary day, my friends. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says something. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in the full. And that does not mean that Jesus has come so that you can have that life of jet-setting around the world or that life of just one great pleasure after another. That is not the full life that Jesus has in mind. He has in mind something bigger and better, a full life of every day being able to share with the world around you this unique aspect of the image of God that God has put in you. (sighs) That is neither a dim nor a dull life. That is not a boring life. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, life has been rather dull or boring lately, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe this first point you will really connect with. And, and that, it's a simple point, and it's a short point, and here's the point that God calls you. So God calls Moses and God calls you. God calls you. God calls you to action. And I don't know what that action is. And you may not know what that action is. You may know it. Or you may not have sensed it yet from God. What is that action that God is calling you to? Maybe you've been hearing the voice of God saying, I want you to go, and I want you to do this. I want you to serve in this way. A long time ago, God whispered to Bill Shaver, Bill, I want you to step up and help out with the greeter ministry. And maybe you've heard that whisper of God, God, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to go talk to this person. I want you to go share in this way. I want you to go stand up for these people or stand up for this cause. So maybe you know what God is calling you to. Maybe not. But I know that God is calling you to some action because there are very, very few challenges in life where God says, all right, everyone, I'm going to work completely here by myself, and you won't break a sweat at all. You let me take care of this one. God God rarely works that way with challenges in life. God could do that, but he chooses instead to work in a different way. He says, we're all going to do this together. 
because I've put my image in you, and you are now going to go out and share that image with others around you. So if every day seems like just a repeat of the last, and you wonder, is there more that God has for me? Maybe this morning you start preaching to yourself, yes, 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 God has more. Yes, as God calls you just like he calls Moses. I move on to the second point. How can you tune your ears to what God is calling you to do? So let's look at Moses. And what we'll see is Moses' background is very important into his calling, or very important in his calling. And one of the reasons why I chose this this, uh, story from Acts is it contains some details about Moses' background that we don't find in the Exodus story of Moses and his background and his calling. Stephen either um, has some unique inspiration from the Holy Spirit, some insight, or maybe this was verbally passed down through the people of God and he's just sharing it with the Jewish uh, religious authorities um, to get across his message that God's Spirit is always at work. Um, But he shares some very unique details in Acts chapter 7. So you remember the story of Moses as a baby. He was put in the basket, set in the Nile River in order for his life to be saved because the Egyptian pharaoh had sent out the order that all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. And Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the basket, and the short story is she raises him to be her son. Now, what was Moses' upbringing like? Well, we're not... We're not quite sure, but we do know this from Stephen, from this detail in Acts uh, chapter 7. Uh, Stephen tells us that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he grew up to be a powerful individual, mighty in word and de- mighty in word deed. Apart from that, the Bible doesn't tell us too much about his upbringing, but we know that Moses knows that he wasn't Egyptian by birth. We know that Moses knows I'm not a native Egyptian. Because in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, let's look at this. It says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. But that isn't exactly what is written. What really is written is that when 40 years were fulfilled for Moses, what an interesting way to put that. When 40 years were fulfilled for Moses, it came into his thoughts for him to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel. So yes, he decided to do that, but he decided to do it, Stephen says, because it came into his thoughts, in a very passive way, it came into his thoughts to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel. And the word for visit, by the way, does not mean the same word for, like, I'm going to go have a cup of coffee with you and let's visit. That is not the word. That is used, uh, not the sense of visit. The, the, the word visit there um, is the same word we get, our word overseer, like someone who wants to check in on you in order to help you and assist you. And for those of you who like churchy terms, it's the same word we get, our word episcopal or episcopalian, or it's an overseer, the overseer. That's the, the episcopos is the overseer of the church. Moses wanted to go 
and assist his Hebrew brothers. You see, Moses already had developed a heart and a mind for his people, for the Israelites. He had already seen the harsh treatment that the Israelites were receiving from the Egyptians. And if I had a guess, Moses had a very sensitive injustice detector. We all have some kind of detector. Maybe your wife has got a very fine-tuned, dirty clothes detector and keeps you in line, gets you to put your dirty clothes away. Moses had a very fine-tuned injustice detector. And he saw their oppression, and instead of saying, well, I mean, that's how life goes sometimes. And we know there's some injustices, but what is one to do? You know, just do the best you can. Instead of saying that, Moses says, no, something is wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. So Moses shows up at the bricklet-making site where the Hebrews are working as slaves. And verse 24 says, Moses saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. And again, that is not precisely what Stephen says. What he precisely says is that Moses saw a certain Israelite being wronged. And a sensitive injustice detector notices when something is wrong that needs to be made right. And so we get to verse 25, and I think this is just a fascinating verse. Verse 25 says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Somehow Moses already had it in his heart and his mind that he wanted to rescue his people. And he knew that if he were to help rescue his people, it really was through God's hand at work in his life, that God would be rescuing his people through Moses. God, Moses already had it in his heart and in his mind to do this. And it came into his thoughts for him to visit his brothers to see how he could help rescue them. Now, who do you think worked that into Moses' thoughts in the first place? just came into his thoughts. Who do you think worked that thought into Moses in the first place? Who do you think worked in Moses this very sensitive injustice detector? You see, God has a very sensitive injustice detector as well. And he put that, and he developed that ability, that strength into Moses, that trait into Moses, so that Moses could uniquely show that image of God to the world around him. There's a God of justice that rules the world. And God has been at work in your life, your whole life. And so when you think about how God is calling you or what God is calling you to do, know that your background is important in your calling. Your background is important in your calling. Because you have a distinct personality, it comes with distinct strengths. And and when we think of strengths, um, we often think of what are you good at? And when we think of what are you good at, we often think of production of some sort, right? I'm really good at baking cakes. Um, I'm really good at 
um, repairing cars. We think of our our production ability, right? Um, I'm really good at um, producing business deals or making artwork or music or comedy, whatever it is. We usually think of strengths in terms of production ability. But I want us to think very broadly about our strengths, and there are some hidden strengths that um, we often miss out on. I and mean, maybe that hidden strength is your ability to have empathy, deep empathy for someone else. Or maybe that hidden strength is the, the ability to cut through a chaotic situation and develop a really concise, clear action plan really quickly. Or maybe your unique ability is to excel at whatever you do. Or maybe that strength of yours is to show tenacious focus in adversity or complexity and never give up. And God has developed these strengths of yours through the events of your everyday lives. So I thought about my strength. What are are my strengths? And if I had to name what I think is um, one of my greatest strengths, it may not be, but I, I... I, th- I think it is. Um, it's the strength of being an includer. I want to include others in whatever I'm doing. I want to include people to a new group, to a new project, or here at church. I want to include others. I hate the idea of someone feeling left out or feeling unwelcome. Now, how did that come about in my life? Um, through many experiences. I'm sure I'll share one with you. I was in high school, and uh, I remember being with a group of my friends. Uh, there was a lot going on in this scene that I'm, you know, and I'm not even going to describe the scene. It was just kind of a chaotic scene, and I overheard from some of my friends um, mentioning that they were going to go see the movie Field of Dreams. You remember that movie, Field of Dreams? Some of you remember the movie Field of Dreams. It's getting older, isn't it? Um, and I thought, well, that's cool. That sounds like a good movie. Now, I wasn't going to invite myself. Uh, I was going to let me be invited, right? Because it's my friends, and they're going to see the movie. And it never happened. I never got invited to go see Field of Dreams with my group of friends. These are my, my group, right? And they never said, hey, Greg, we're going to see Field of Dreams. And I was left out. And ever since then, there's been something that I've been passionately against ever since then. I've been passionately against Kevin Costner movies. I've never seen another Kevin Costner movie. I'm passionately against exclusion. And that's how passion works often. You're affected first. In fact, that's where we get our word passion. It comes from... Um, the Latin word meaning to suffer or to endure. We are affected by something else. In order to hear God's call, listen first to your background and notice how you've been affected because how you've been affected has developed in you some passion. And through your passion and through how you've been affected, you have developed some strength. God has developed that strength in you. 
Um, and another thing I want us to notice or to know is that God doesn't waste any of our experiences in life, but uses them to develop this passion. And then he turns that into a calling. So if you're wondering, God, what impact do you want me to have? Just listen to your life story. Let's look, listen to your history. What has God done to develop your strengths and passions? Um, and the third point, Uh, that I want to address is what happens when it feels like you're just stuck and you're waiting for God to do something and move, but nothing's happening. You're stuck in your sense of calling. You're asking God, what do you want me to do? And it's God seems silent and you're waiting. Uh, One of the reasons I read Stephen's recalling of the story of Moses is he tells us exactly how long Moses was in Midian. Remember, he, after he killed the Egyptian and was called out by his brother Israelite, he ran off to Midian. And Stephen tells us exactly how long Moses was in Midian. Do you remember how long he was in Midian for? Forty years. And I didn't expect that, right? I didn't expect that, 40 years. Yeah, I thought Moses went to Midian, he found a wife there, knew that. You know, how long does that take? And when you read this story as a 10-year-old, you think, oh, that took a couple of weeks, right? Then you get a little older, you think, well, okay, one, a couple of weeks, maybe a year, a couple of years, I don't know. And then he came back to Egypt. You think... You go to Midian, you find your wife, burning bush, bam. What? At least three years, that's it? Back into Egypt? But no, 40 years passed between Moses believing that God was going to use him to rescue the Israelites and when God appeared to Moses in the form of the burning bush. That is a lifetime of waiting. It's at least a half a lifetime of waiting, right? There's a phrase, God seems to always take his time, but he's never late. God seems to always take his time with us, but he's never late. So what do you think God was doing in Moses during those 40 years in Midian. Why 40 years? Yeah, 40 is kind of that unique, special number in the Bible. Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days, and the Israelites were wandering in the, in the wilderness for 40 years before getting in the promised land, and Jonah was preaching in Nineveh 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overturned. 40 days is one of those unique numbers in the Bible. What, what was God spending 40 years uh, doing in Moses' life? So there's one hint if we look at how the story appears in Exodus. So look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the Mount of God. So keep that verse up just for a second. Moses, what was he doing for 40 years? He was herding sheep. 
In fact, if you were to get out your map of the ancient world and locate Midian and Mount Horeb, which is the same thing as Mount Sinai, right? Where would you find them? You would find them in the middle of the wilderness, the desert. And Moses was leading stubborn sheep who didn't know which way was which through the desert, and he was keeping them safe and alive. And he did it for 40 years. And he was developing patience and dedication to these helpless creatures who desperately needed his leadership. Now, hmm, think about what Moses was doing after he led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt to the promised land. What was Moses doing and what was God doing to prepare Moses for that in Midian? So in case you're kind of new to the story, after Moses leads the Israelites safely out of of, uh, slaves in Egypt, what does he do? He leads these stubborn Israelites who certainly act like they don't know which way is which for 40 years through the desert, and he keeps them safe and alive. So his 40 years in ministry were just training grounds for the 40 years that Moses would be spending shepherding the people of Israel in the wilderness. Friends, God knows exactly the call that he is going to give to you, and he knows exactly how to develop you for that call just like he did for Moses. And so here's the third point. God navigated you to where you are and where you have been. And whenever you feel like, oh, I'm just in a holding pattern, when is this going to end? I've been waiting. I've been waiting, God. I've been waiting in Midian. I've been waiting shepherding these sheep. I've been waiting because I know that you are calling me to help rescue the Israelites and I'm just hurting these sheep for 40 years, God. Whenever you start questioning God, I want you to ask, God, is there something that you want me to do while I'm waiting? Is there, is there a way that you want me to grow? Is there a way that you want me to develop? And then, Remember that God will reveal how he's going to use you when his time is right. Because God always takes his time, but he's never late. So in the meanwhile, when we're in this holding pattern, we we pray, right? We pray. We can pray that we'll hear the call of God. Because just like he does with Moses, God calls his people to rescue others out of bondage. Don't wonder if God will call you to do that. God will call you to do that. Just be ready to answer when he calls. There's a group of people uh, who are here this morning um, in bright orange shirts. Um, And I wanted to invite them up to the stage, um, bright orange shirt people. Uh, Will you come up? Uh, We had a, a... team of volunteers um, go out, and they answered God's call recently. Um, And Scott, will you just share a little bit about answering God's call to serve, and what you did, and what happened? Okay, 
Yeah, yesterday a group of us answered a call to go to Lake Charles to help a family uh, whose house, house was pretty much destroyed from, from a hurricane. Not one, but two. Both Laura and mm-hmm. Delta, they got major wind damage from Laura, and from Delta they were flooded. And we had an opportunity to go help them and bless them, and God called us, we answered. So I'm going to let everybody else have a chance to say a word if they wish. Um, this is my first hearing. I, I've around with the idea here and there, but let's be honest, it's kind of hard to get out there and go do stuff that you don't want to do. <laughs> um, and it really was a phenomenal experience to help this family. They've, like Scott said, they, you know, they made it through the first one, Laura, relatively unscathed. You know, they, they had some roof damage. They were fixing that. And then Laura came along, and there was just still so much water left around that they flooded. And for those of you who have been through this, flooding is way worse than wind damage to your roof. And so when we got there, I mean, they, one had already done some stuff, and they, as they got that done, they realized, oh, this isn't enough. We have to do more for them. So we got there and started tearing out even more. Um, and it's, it's just, it, it's... It's hard to describe the, what to see those families go through that and to know that you're there helping them. It just really is as much of a blessing to yourself as it is to them. Uh, this is my first time uh, doing any kind of hurricane relief. Um, and I really just wanted to say a Bible verse, uh, Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10. Um, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, above mm-hmm. ourselves. Never, lack, never be lacking in zeal, and keep a fervent spirit serving in the Lord. And um, I feel like that if you guys feel any kind of need or calling, this is a very easy way to do it, and it's a very rewarding uh, calling to do it. Yeah, thank you. I think one of the things that stuck out with, um, for us yesterday is when the owner of the house was being walked through just to show her what was being updated, how much more we had to go. Um, in, in the middle of the kitchen, she broke down and started crying. She hit her knees, and I think what was most moving to me is everybody who heard her cry or saw her just give, give way, um, put her hands, stopped immediately working, put their hands on her, and we sat there and prayed with her. Mm-hmm. And it was just so touching and moving to actually be in that moment with her and to carry that moment with me, and uh, encourage you guys to come with us next time we do it. So speaking of next time. Well, one, one more thing I wanted to say. At the end, uh, Samaritan's Purse, there were some work leaders there from Samaritan's Purse guiding us and coordinating things. They had a Bible that we all signed and put a note in and gave it to her. It was, it was powerful. Mm. So, yes, we're, we're going to go again in three weeks. These guys were so moving early. When are we going again? So we're going in three weeks. And I'll be in the back after the service in the lobby if you'd like to talk about that, and I'll give you some information about it. All right. Thank you. Uh, so I think that was like the first Saturday in November, three weeks-ish. Uh, November 7th. If you want more information on that trip, go see Scott Hill in the foyer after the worship service. 
Um, also, on your connection card that's probably either still in your seat or in your bulletin, all you have to do is write Louisiana Trip on that, and we will get you more information on that next um, time. And can we just kind of applaud God for what he did through our Samaritan First volunteers? God is, is calling you. Uh, there is someone near you that is in bondage to something. And as I heard their stories, I thought about the lady and just weeping over the Bible that was given to her. Um, and I think maybe she was in bondage to just feeling alone. I mean, lost a lot, right? A lot of damage, and just feeling alone in that moment. And then the gift of the body of Christ coming in, saying, you are not alone. We are here for you and with you. Or maybe there's a, a teenager in, in your school that is in the bondage. She's in bondage to, the, to self-doubt, or he's in bondage to despair. Or there's a coworker of yours who is in bondage to, to shame over her past mistakes or because her, her marriage is in failure or because his relationships with his kids are in shambles. Or there's a neighbor that is in bondage of loneliness. There's another neighbor in bondage of condemnation over the sins that he's committed. There's people in bondage all over the place. And they need to know about Jesus Christ And God is going to do something about it. But the same way that God was at work 3,000 years ago is generally the same way that God is at work now. He says, I'm going to do something about it, but I'm going to do it through you, by calling you. And so what if we were open to God working through his Spirit today in issuing his call to us, where every day would become an opportunity to show something that God has put in you about himself to the world around you. What if we prayed, God, help me hear what you are calling me to do? What would happen if we were to do that? We would see the kingdom of God growing in our neighborhoods, and we would see Jesus Christ proclaimed and people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. God's way of rescuing people is the way of God's rescuing people back then. God calls someone that he is then going to work through, and my friends, that is you. Let's pray. Lord, we we are humble this morning because of this scripture, the statement that you uttered, let us make human beings in our image, in my image. You have put your likeness in us. And we are sorry, Lord, when we do things to deface that image when we do things that are mean-spirited or out of anger or frustration or bitterness or hatred, and we actually deface this beautiful image of you that is in us, Lord, we pray that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today. We, We repent of our sins and we pray that you would come in and that you would give us a burning desire to answer your call. And Lord, we know that we have to listen carefully. And we know that often you're at work and you're asking us to wait. 
Lord, this morning, we just want to give you our lives and recommit them to you and renew our focus in listening and waiting as you grow us and build us to be the image of Jesus Christ. And when the timing is right, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to hear your call and then follow and respond and say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.